Each Sunday throughout Lent, we are looking at a psalm, and this one is Psalm 40. The beauty of the psalmist, the writers of these incredible works, is that what we are seeing is one point in each of their stories, and sometimes it's a point of joy, and sometimes it's a point of anguish, and what you're going to hear in Psalm 40 is, is a combination of those at this point in the writer's story. David? Happy are those who make the Lord their trust, who do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be counted. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, here I am, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. See, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your saying, your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Do not, O Lord, withhold your mercy from me. Let your steadfast love and your faithfulness keep me safe forever. For evils have encompassed me without number. My iniquities have overtaken me until I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let all those be put to shame and confusion who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The gospel reading comes out of the Gospel of Luke, and I, I love Luke because he's, he's a list maker. He wants to make sure that he gives the appropriate account of the life of Jesus sequentially and in order. And I love this introduction, these first four verses of the Gospel of Luke. Let's stand as, as you are able and as we hear this Gospel. <clears throat> Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 26 people yesterday here for six hours 
And it's wonderful that as the discussions were yesterday, there was one point at which it became so poignant. And it was very early on in the day. The first two questions I asked was for people to first stand and introduce themselves and talk about how long they had been at Aldersgate. And it was amazing to see the diversity gathered in Friendship Hall among the 46, no, 26 of us. And, and we were all over the map as far as that was concerned, from folks who had been here less than a year to folks who had been here from almost the beginning and almost everything in between, knowing that that was a part of their story. But what then the question became was, now share the story of how you came to faith. How did you come to faith? And it was, it was interesting to then sit back and, and watch. So different than the first question. Because what we saw at that point, what I saw at that point, was people leaning forward, listening intently, so fully engaged in the sharing and the hearing of that part of their story. And again, all over the map of what was shared from those who weren't quite sure what the word faith means to those whose faith has been a foundational piece of who they are really for most of their lives. What is it about sharing our stories? What is it that just seems to draw us in as someone else shares pieces of theirs? Some of it is that suddenly we're revealing a much deeper part of who we are. You remember those times in your relationships early on, whether it was with a, a friend or just getting to know someone, you, you shared those surface pieces of, in some cases, how old you were, or where you were born, or where you came from, or how many brothers and sisters you have, or any of those kinds of things that, that to some extent define a little part of who we are. And then you begin to date then you exaggerate your story. <laughs> but then comes a time where you find that best friend and sometimes it's the spouse or sometimes it's someone else and suddenly the, the parts of your story go deeper. And in some cases, you feel comfortable enough and trust them enough to share your struggles, to share those deep parts, the even joys that you've, you've seen in your life or those successes and Story is so powerful. And the beauty of a church, if a church truly becomes a church, is that we create those spaces, those opportunities to hear not only the surface pieces of our stories, but even the deeper pieces. I'll come back to that in just a second. As I was preparing the sermon, I kind of thought back about seminary, and, and, and there was one class, the History of Christianity class, where a professor looked at us, and it was six, year, six weeks, it seems like six years, six weeks before the end, and she comes to us and she says, now I'm going to give you your final. We thought, you're going to give us our final six weeks ahead? How great is that? Then we found out what the final was. <clears throat> she said, what I need you to do is I need you to track back as far as you can go in your family history. Track back, and what we're looking for are those threads of faith. You're going to be able to find it, but it's going to take work. And once you 
see that you've gone as far as you can go, then I'm asking you to go farther, go deeper, find out more, and just continue to dig and dig and dig and see if maybe, in fact, there is some kind of thread of faith that goes through. We all looked at each other. We thought she was nuts. There was no way that you could do this work. You knew that there were some places on on the web where you could go and find at least pieces of that. But what was amazing is as we all brought those stories back, that there are always those folks in the family who could take us deeper. Those folks in the family who had done the research and tried to figure it out. Or those graveyards or or those other places that mark our history. And it was just such an interesting thing because then she said the second piece. The second piece she said is when you look at this history, what you're going to find is this is a part of your definition. What you're going to find is this is a part of your DNA. Coming out of the research community, I mean, what we continue to find as far as family histories go is what an incredibly powerful driving force that can be in our lives. That can place us at risk for things like heart attacks or even addictions. But you know what? The other thing we found is that family history can also be a source of strength. A source that can guide us and protect us and even move us deeper as we find that within our families, in the diversity that is family, is some thread somewhere. It was an amazing study. And it truly did exactly what she said. For every single one of us in, this cla- in that classroom, it was a defining moment for each of us. As we found the threads, sometimes broken, sometimes slashed, and sometimes retied, that tied us to a life of faith where God had seemed to enter in at times and disappear at times and then re-enter into the stories of each of our lives As I thought about that, I even thought of Jesus. I thought of, you know, we think that there's this deeply theological term here, poof moments. These poof moments where suddenly Jesus comes out of the water and suddenly he becomes everything that he wasn't before that poof moment. When in fact, if you look back at the life and history of Jesus, his full story, you see that he was raised by two deeply committed people of faith. That even in his work, he was no doubt surrounded by others who may have seen faith in a different way, and that had an influence on who he became. And there was that moment where he realized suddenly that this is who I am. And so I will go deeper into this. But it wasn't a poof. It was a continuation. And I look at Paul. We're studying Paul in my Wednesday morning class, and we, we keep thinking that there was this poof moment for Paul when he's knocked off his horse and the voice of Jesus coming and saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Poof! And he's going to become something that he never was before when in fact what we find is that Saul, Paul, had always been covered with faith. That his father was a Pharisee and his grandfather was a Pharisee and that at some point in his life he went to Jerusalem and studied at the feet of the great Gamaliel one of the greatest Jewish scholars of all time. This wasn't a poof moment for him. It was, there was something that happened that day. But why is it that we think that faith is a poof? So I want to ask you today, as we think of Jesus and Paul, 
as we think of people like St. Francis and even Tertullian and others who have gone before us, the Luthers and the Calvins and the Wesleys, who suddenly found a place in their hearts, or as Wesley would say, where their heart was strangely warmed and something went deeper. It wasn't a poof. It was a deepening. And I ask you, when was that moment for you? Or more appropriately, when were those moments for you where you suddenly felt your heart strangely warmed and your story connected more fully with God's? And you allowed that source of life to engage you in a completely new or deeper way. I also have to think about the story of Aldersgate, 50 years now. And as we came together yesterday, it was, it was truly incredible. I had it planned so perfectly. It was a great process that I had intended for yesterday. Poof! It went a different direction. Because what I did is I put up on the screen in... Friendship Hall, our vision statement that I knew was our guiding principle. We gather all people, heal and transform them in grace and send out passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. I thought it was so easy that you could take this and put it in four very succinct pieces. And then what we could do is create a vision out of that and a mission statement and a process and all this stuff as soon as I put that vision statement up there. I'm not really sure that's what defines us anymore, Pastor. I'm not sure that I like that word, that word, that word, that word, or that word. Poof. The beautiful process went a different direction. But you know what? It was an absolutely appropriate direction because this is what happened, and I'm going to read some of these to you. As we began to look again at who we are, and how God is working in the midst of us. There are a number of things that came up that more widely expand those four elements. The four elements are somewhat in there, but much more expanded. See how this feels to you as you think about our story. We talked about the fact that the we is all-inclusive. We doesn't mean just us, those who kind of have it. It means all of us. It means everyone gathered. It even means extending beyond these doors and moving around others with whom we come in contact. That's what the we means. But when we looked at the word gather, here's what came up. We are hoping to more fully become a place that invites and is inviting, spreads our arms and gathers people and welcomes anyone and everyone with open arms. We reach, we accept, we seek to connect anyone Anywhere. That's the first part. The second piece, we recognize that we are all on this journey together. Journey came up a lot yesterday. All are in need of being healed and offered healing. All are seeking to move from where we are to something more, to be transformed in our own spiritual lives and as human beings journeying together we do this as we care for each other support each other love and encourage each other toward a deeper faith or even a deeper understanding of what faith may be third the disciple piece we see ourselves as followers of jesus that's what being a disciple means 
And the root of disciple is also the root of discipline. And so we need things, groups, studies, and opportunities to gain a deeper understanding of Christ, of God, and of ourselves. That is spiritual growth. That is Christian education. That is the church. Fourth, the sending piece. The realization that there is a sending piece, but it travels two roads. The first is purposeful and focused outreach that involves mission and service and even evangelism or bringing good news wherever that good news may be needed, no matter what that good news may be. That's one road of the sending piece. But there is another that goes back to those first three elements because every single one of us misses the mark on occasion. Every one of us goes through a time where we feel like we're in the desert alone or where we feel like we have failed. And the other road then is what we have then in the midst of this church is a place where we can go and be re-accepted, accepted again and surrounded again, nourished again, healed and transformed again so that we feel confident again to do the work of a disciple of being a follower and then go deeper and can be maybe sent forth on the other road toward focused and meaningful and purposeful mission and that everything that we do is centered on being followers of Christ and grace filled not only with Christ but with each other wow wow sitting last night at my desk at home and again just remembering and looking at some of the notes and being overcome with the power of what this group created now here's the other piece is shannon made a recommendation i think is a really good one that we put up four large pieces of butcher paper at some point in friendship hall and allow you to write those things out again and allow you to add your perspective to those to make sure that we're all on the same page around some of these things. What a privilege to be serving a church where these are central to our story. Finally, the other thing that we did is that we found that um, we're doing some of these, particularly one of these, really well. Uh, the second one, and it's not in order, and I'll show you this at another time, but that there's another one of these that we're doing okay. There's a third one of these that we're, there's pieces of it, and a fourth one that we're just not doing well, and that we have work to do if we're to accomplish the vision and the calling of God, that there's work involved in that. But isn't that a part of the story, of every story? no matter what it is, that there are those times where we know we can do other things to gain ground or get healthier or whatever it is. And friends, that's what Lent is about, isn't it? Isn't that what Lent is about? For us to allow God to penetrate into our lives in even deeper ways so that we can heal and transform and become a much more appropriate follower in the story of God. And to a great extent, that is what this table is about. These elements represent part of that story. And a reminder that as we, as we look at these, that what Jesus did in one of the most sacred pieces of Judaism 
he changed the story. In one fell swoop, he changed the story. Because instead of saying the script, what he said on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And instead of going to the Passover script, he said this, this is my body, mine, broken for you because of the way that I have chosen to live my life. As often as you eat of this bread, remember that story and let it engage in yours. And after the supper was over, he took the cup, not the first or the second cup, but the third cup in the Passover feast. And he said, this cup of the new covenant is now a cup in my blood. In my blood. Because of the way that I have chosen to live my life, this cup of the new covenant will remember me. So as often as you drink of this, remember. I invite those who are assisting to come forward. Remember. And so as you come forward to this table of grace, this table where every single person is welcomed, every person is welcomed, whether you're doubting today, whether you're absolutely confident today, whatever place you are in, in the midst of your story, you are welcome here at this table. But I ask one thing of you as you come forward. That this be a time where you engage God in your story deeper. That you make that commitment again as you come forward. The beauty of faith, the beauty of this faith is that every day can be a new beginning where we can go deeper. I challenge you that this be such a day.